begin today the Gemara at the bottom of the Nunala Pamud Beis, where it says, This is the Mishnah where it's talking about the different conditions that are written into every single Ksuba. And even if you don't write it, it's part of the Ksuba. It's part of the husband's obligation. One of them is, if his wife was captured, he must redeem her. And the Mishnah made a distinction between a wife married to Yisrael and a, a wife married to a Kayan. Married to a Yisrael, the halacha is that he has to redeem her. And the Lashon of the Ksuba is, and I'll bring you back home to me. You'll be my wife. My Kehenes, he, he writes in the Ksuba, Once you were captured, and there's a suspicion that you had a relation with someone, they even against your will. So you can't go back to the husband of Kayin, but I will bring you back home to your city where you come from. That's what it said in the Ksuba. So now based on this, the Gemara will bring a Machloikis of Abaye and Rabbah. Omar Abaye, so Abaye said, Almana Lekoyen Godel. What if it's a case that it's an Almana married to a Kohen Gadol? Now this is a marriage that's forbidden. A Kohen Gadol is not allowed to marry an Almana. But nevertheless, Chayiv Lufdaisa. He will be obligated to redeem her if she gets captured. Why? Because I still could apply what it says in the Ksubeh. Some take out this word of Bikehenes. What does it say in the Ksubeh? That the husband is saying that I'm going to redeem you and send you back home. So over here as well, true, he's not allowed to live with her. He's forbidden to be married to her. But yet true, he's going to redeem her and then he's going to send her back home. So the Chiddush of Abaye is, even though in a usual case, what's the reason why he's sending his wife home after he redeems her from captivity? Because of the captivity. That's the reason why I can't live with her anymore. Because during captivity, we're afraid that she had a relation with someone else. Over here, why is the reason he's sending her back home? Before the whole story of the captivity. Because she's an Almana. And Almana is not allowed to be married to a Kohen Gadol. <laughs> Nevertheless, but because the words of the Ksuvah, could still be applied. That I'm going to redeem you and send you back home. So therefore, this is a condition that he accepted and he has to fulfill. That's the Lashon of the Ksuvah. However, Mamzeres and Nesina Li Yisrael. If it's a Mamzeres and a Nesina, also two, type, two examples of a lav where it's forbidden for a yid to be married to. The marriage takes effect. The point of both of these examples are, both an Almana to a Kohen Gadol and a Mamzeres and a Nesina that are married to a Yisrael, these are marriages that are forbidden, but the marriage, the Kedushan takes effect, and it, it is his wife, right? because it's only a lav. So by a, but, but by a Mamzeres and a Nesina that's married to a Yisrael, he will not be obligated to redeem her. Why? Because I cannot apply what the language of the Ksuba says, and that is, and that I'm going to redeem you, and I'll bring you back to sit with me as a wife, because she's a Mamzeres and a Nesina, she can't be his wife. She, he has to send her a, 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 every, every single day. He's with her, he's being over a lap. So if he can't bring her back as a wife, why, why should he have to redeem her? It doesn't, that's not what he took upon himself in the Ksuba. That's Abayas Chiddush. Rava argues with the first half of what Abayas said. <coughs> Sorry, regarding the Almana to the Kohen Gadol. So Rava says, no, by an Almana to the Kohen Gadol, he will not have the obligation to redeem her. Why not? If the reason why she can't go back to her husband, the Kayin, is because she was captured and we're afraid she had a, a relation with someone else. So it's the captivity which is the cause that she can't go back to the husband. So then he's obligated to redeem her. That's what the Ksuba means when it says that I'm going to send you back home. True, I can't live with you anymore because you were captured, but I'm going to redeem you and send you back home. But But if the reason why he can't live with her now is not because of this captivity, from before this already, there's something else because she's an Almana and he's not allowed to be married to her at all. 
So then, even though technically in the words of the Ksuba that I'll send you back home, it fits, that he's going to redeem her and send her back home. But over here, it's not the captivity that's the cause of this. It's already from before that he's not allowed to live with her. So therefore, over here, this obligation to redeem her does not apply. Lame says the Gemara, shall we say, this argument of Abai and Rava is the same argument of the following Tanoi. So the Braise says, Hamader es Ishtoi, person that makes a vow that he will not have any benefit from his wife. What happens in such a situation? So he can't live with his wife anymore. He has to divorce her. So now the Nishpis, after he made this vow, she got captured. So the question is, does he still have an obligation to redeem her? Rabbiezer says, yeah, he does have to redeem her, but then the Nisan Loksuba, and then he's going to have to divorce her and give her a Ksuba. So he is going to redeem her just because he made a vow and he's going to have to, he's going to be forced to divorce her. That doesn't mean that his obligation to redeem her goes away, but then he redeems her and then he gives her a Ksuba. Rabbi Shua says, Nisan Loksubasa, he has to divorce her, he has to give her the Ksuba when he divorces her. He's not obligated to redeem her. He's, he, can, he can divorce her right now and give her the ksuba money and let her use that if she wants to redeem herself. But he does, has no obligation to redeem her. And the Gemara will explain on, in a moment over here why. The Gemara will explain that it would, looks like this machlekes could be the same as the machlekes of Abai and Rava. But before we get to that, the Gemara first clarifies one point of Rabbi Shua's opinion. So Amar Rab Nassan said, I asked Sumchis the following question. When Rabbi Shua said, that he gives her her ksuba money and he does not have to redeem her. What's the case here that he was speaking about? Is it when the husband first made a vow that he will have no benefit of his wife and afterwards she got captured? Then Rabbi Shua says that he's absolved, he doesn't have to redeem her. Or is that even going to be true if she first got captured? And after she got captured, now the husband made a vow that he will not have any benefit from her. Even then we say that he will not have to redeem her anymore. So Sumchas answered me, I didn't hear what Rabbi Shua said, but but it would appear as follows. The case of here is that the husband first made a nether that he will not have any anah from his wife. Then she got captured. That's when Rabbi Shua is saying that he doesn't have to redeem her. The Yomret, because if you're going to say, Nishbis that even if first she got captured, and afterwards the husband goes and makes a vow that I will not have any benefit from you, so I can't live with you anymore, so you can't be my wife, so why should I redeem you? That's what he would be saying. So then what's going to happen? So the husband is going to come and play a trick. After his wife is already captured, he has an obligation to redeem her. He's going to create a circumstance where he can't be his, uh, her, her, her husband anymore, and he's not going to be obligated to divorce her. So if afterwards he took a, he, he made this vow, it's too late. It's not, it's not going to change his obligation that he already had from before. Okay, but now the Gemara will try to explain the machlekes here between Rabbi Yezah and Rabbi Shua. When a person makes a vow and he goes and, he, and, and his wife, that is, gets captured, does he have to redeem her or not? What, what is the machlekes between them? Says the Gemara, my love, don't you think the case over here is b'madir, eishes, kayin, kamifligi? They're arguing only in a case where this is a wife of a kayin. Why only in the case where the wife is a kayin? So let's go back again to the language of the Ksuba. In the case where it's a wife of Yisrael, what's the language of the Ksuba? I'm going to redeem you and bring you back home to me as a wife. If he made a net that and he can't have any benefit of her and she can't be his wife, he can't bring her back home to be his wife. So by eishes Yisrael, 
there should be no obligation for him to redeem it. There's no reason for there to be any argument about this. When is there an argument? If this is an anxious Kayin. So what does it say in the language of the Ksuba by the wife of a Kayin? I will redeem you and send you back home to your house. So even if she can't be his wife, still you should have an obligation to redeem her. So here is the Machlaikis between Rabbi Yeza and Rabbi Shua. The Gemara explains, what's the Machlaikis? Abaye's opinion is like what Rabbi is saying here. It's both the same thing. Just like we said before regarding an almana to a Kohen Gadol, the fact that this Kohen Gadol can't bring his wife to almana to his house is not because she got captured. It's because she's an almana. She's forbidden to live with him. Still, what does Abaye say? You have the obligation to redeem her because the language of the Ksub is that you're sending her back home. Same thing over here. The fact that he can't live with her is not because she got captured, but it's because you made a vow that you can't live with her anymore. True, but the language of the Ksub is that you're sending her back home. So again, the Chiddush of Abayi is, even if there's a Dova Acher, even if there's a, a, another cause, not the fact that she got captured, there's another cause of why you have to send her home, still you're going to be obligated to, to, to redeem her. So whether the cause is because she's an Almana that can't live with a Kohen Gadol, whether the cause is the fact that you, that you made a nether and she can't live with you, you're still obligated to redeem her. So Abayi and Rabbi Yezah seem to be saying the same thing. However, Rav says like Rabbi Yeshua, only in a case when it's the actual captivity itself, which is the reason why you can't bring her back home, then the husband was obligated to go and redeem her and send her back home. But if there's an outside cause of why you can't live with her, whether because she's an Almana married to a Kohen Gadol, or because you made a nether and therefore you can't live with her, so at that point you're not, you're not obligated to redeem her. So this, these two things seem to be mamish the same exact argument here. Says the Gemara, not necessarily. We could explain this machlekes of Rabbi Yez and Rabbi Shua in a different way. What is the case we're speaking about over here in this Braise when it speaks about a nether and the question is whether he's obligated to redeem her or not? Completely different thing. Not, not a wife of a Kayin. We're talking about the wife of a Yisrael. I know if it's a wife of a Yisrael, so why should he be obligated to redeem her? After he redeems her, she can't come back home to him. It says in the language of the Ksobah that he's redeeming her to bring her back home. It says the Gemara, the case is, She's the one that made this vow, not him. And now what happened when she makes the vow? The Kayim Lahu, and the husband allowed this vow to stand. That's either because the husband, uh, when he heard the day, the husband is the one, when he hears his wife making a vow, he said, yes, I accept your vow, no problem. Or uh, he always has the option on the day that she makes the vow, he always has the option to annul the vow. And he didn't. He allowed the vow to stand. So now the question is, who, create, who do we look at is the one that created this current circumstance that she can't live with him? Do we say that it's her that caused it to herself? Or because he is the one that allowed the, this nether to stand, so therefore he's the one that's causing this circumstance. So Rabbi Yezus, uh, opinion is, and the Gemara says this with the following interesting analogy. Who, Nasan, uh, what? Who... He's the one that's placing a finger between her teeth. Meaning, he's the one that caused this entire problem. Because he had the option to annul this vow. So the fact that he did not annul this vow, why are you sticking your finger into her mouth and now she's going to bite your finger? So over here, if he, he's the one that caused this vow that he can't live with her. So that's not going to absolve him from fulfilling his obligation to go and redeem her. It's his wife. He's obligated to redeem her. And, and from, from when they were married, 
this was a regular circumstance of a husband and wife, and there was nothing forbidden between this relationship, she could live with him, and now he goes and allows her to be in this circumstance that she can't live with him, that's not going to take away from his obligation to redeem her. It doesn't change from the original status of this marriage. Rabbi Yeshua, Rabbi Yeshua says, he she did this to herself. It's like she placed her own finger between her teeth and she's biting her own finger. She, she, she's the one that made this vow. True, her vow does not stand without the husband uh, deciding that to, to, to allow it. But nevertheless, she's the one that made this vow. And therefore, if, if she can't go back and live with him, so from this <laughs> point forward, he's not obligated to redeem her. That is the argument there. And a Hanami, true, but but nevertheless, when the Ksuba says that he should be able that he took upon himself this obligation that's based on the status of the marriage the way it is before this vow. Now the question is wh- whether the vow changed that changes that or not. Mm-hmm. Who's at fault over here? Who do we look at over here? Ksuba. Right. Okay, so now the Gemara asks on this. It doesn't fit into what Rabbi Shu is saying in the Braisa, this chat. Why not? If the point over here is that she's the cause. For all the problems here, that it's, it's not only the fact that now there's a question if he has to redeem her from captivity or not. Because she made this nether, the husband's going to be forced to divorce her. They can't live together anymore. If that's the issue, so then ksuba mayavidita. Why does it say over here that the husband divorces her and gives her a ksuba? Why should a husband be obligated to give her the ksuba money if she is the cause of this entire divorce? He's not interested in divorcing her. So she should be forced out in the divorce without any ksuba. That's one question. So another question here is, what else would it say there in the Braisa? Omer Abnasan, Abnasan said, Sha'alti is Sumchis, that I ask Sumchis the question, Rabbi Shua said, give her the Ksuba money, the end of Paide, and you do not have to redeem her. So the question was, is this when the nether was made first and then she was captured? Or even if she was first captured and then the nether was made, that he can't have any uh, benefit from her. And for Omar, and what did he answer? I didn't hear what, what he said. And then he went on to say that, but nevertheless, it, it appears to be that only if the nether was made before, not if the nether was made after. Right? So now the Gemara asks, but if he did not if she's the one that made this nether, so then why should there be any difference? What difference does it make if the nether was before she was captured, or if she was first captured, and then afterwards the nether was made? What did the Gemara say before? The whole point was that if the husband is the one that's making the nether, so, so if you're going to say that even if he makes the nether after she's captured, so then he's going to play a trick. She gets captured. He's not interested in taking care of her. So he makes a net there and he says to her, I'm sorry, we can't be husband and wife anyways anymore, so I'm not going to redeem you. But that's not the case of here. She's the one that's making the nether. If she's the one that's making the nether, there should be no difference between before and after. There's no concern that he's going to do our Rama, that he's going to play this trick over here. So why is there even a question about this? So that can't be the case. The Gemara now retracts this, takes away, the, go, goes back from this pshat. It's not that she made the nether. Going back to what we said before, the Adra Ihu. He, the husband, is the one that made this nether that he cannot have a benefit from his wife. And it's in this situation where Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua are arguing whether the husband will have an obligation to redeem her. Now, how do we understand this machlaikis between Rabbi Yezer and Rabbi Yeshua? So again, the Gemara before wanted to say that it's the same as a Bay and Rava. When you have an external reason of why the, the wife cannot go back to the husband, is that still enough of reason that in a case of a Kayan that is? Should I say that in a case of a Kayan that he's still obligated to redeem her? 
because in the Ksuba it says that I'll deliver you back home. Or do I say, since it's an external reason, it's not because of the captivity that I have to redeem you, back, redeem you and deliver you back home, so therefore now I'm not obligated. That's what the Gemara wanted to say before, right? But now the Gemara says, we can say, Abaye will explain Smachlekis according to his approach, and Rav will explain according to his approach. And as the Gemara here will explain all the details, let's see. Abaya Metaras Abaya explains according to his reasoning as follows. Almana if there's a case of an Almana that's married to a Koyen Godel, so as Abaya before said, true, there's an external reason, it's the Isr of an Almana, that he cannot be married to her, not the captivity, but it's that reason that he can't be married to her. So, so Kula Almala Pligi, but nevertheless, according to Abaya, nobody will disagree about this, the Chayev Levdaisa. He's still obligated to redeem her, because that's the language of the Ksuba. That I'll deliver you back home. Mamzeres and Nisina li Yisrael. If it's a Mamzeres and Nisina, it's married to a Yisrael. So the language of the Ksuba by Yisrael is that you'll be my wife. Kula amalei pligi, then chayav levdaisa. Nobody will argue about this, that he's not going to be obligated to redeem her because he can't be her, 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 his, she can't be his uh, wife anymore. Where is there an argument? Now, in both of these cases, before I read the next part of the Gemara, in both of these cases, the external reason that there is here the Isra, that there is there, that he can't be married to her anymore, is all from the very first moment of marriage. That's, what I, that, that's the way it is from the first moment of marriage, right? But now, in the case of the Braise, this is different. Why? Because Mader Eishis Kayin, oh, sorry, this is just one, one more thing over here now. Mader Eishis Kayin, in a case where a person, according to Abaye, this is, when a person makes a neder, and it's a wife of a Kayin, so she can't live with him anymore. Nami kula amole pligi daisa. Nobody will disagree about this, that will be obligated to redeem her. And the reason is, this is identical to the case of an Almanah to Kohen Gadol. It's, it's actually even more than an Almanah to Kohen Gadol. If by the case of an Almanah to Kohen Gadol, from the very first moment of marriage, he's not allowed to remain married to her, nevertheless, the line in the Ksuba that says that I'll redeem you and bring you back home applies, for sure, in a case where he was married to a woman that he's allowed to be married to. And then later she makes a, a, a nether, or he makes a nether rather. And now he can't be married to her. For sure he's going to be obligated to redeem her and bring her back home. It's no less than the case of Amman or Lekayin Gadol. Kipligi, now, where is there an argument? In a case where there was a nether that the husband made, and he's a Yisrael, and he's married to his wife, and he makes a nether. So now, could he, could he bring her back home, to be, him to be a wife? No, he can't. But when did that happen? It's only along the way. He made a nether at a certain point. In the beginning, this was a regular wife for him. And he's able to live with her. Along the way somewhere, he made a nether, and now he can't live with her. So Rabbi Yezir says that the obligation of the husband is established according to the way it was originally when they got married. When he wrote the Ksuba for her and he got married to her, so and he said that I'm going to redeem you and bring you back home. In that time, that's the status of the marriage that he's able to bring her back home. So he, that obligation will remain. Rabbi Yeshua Azel, again, so, so it can't be compared to Mamzeres and Nesina. person that marries Mamzeres and Nesina, from the very first moment, he was never able to bring her back home. Rabbi Yeshua Azel, but however, Rabbi Yeshua says, you can't look at the way the status was in the beginning. True, in the beginning, he was married to her as a regular husband and wife, and he was, he was able to bring her back home, and at that point, the obligation was, 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 was applied. But later, it changed. Now that he made a nether, and he can't bring her back home. So now, he's, he doesn't have to redeem her anymore. That's 
Abai's interpretation of this machlekes. And Rav explains this machlekes according to his reasoning, according to his opinion. And he says as follows, whether it's an Alman and or even Mamzeris and the Sin, the same as also Mamzeris and the Sin of Yisrael, Marito Yisrael, in both of these cases, everybody will agree that that he's not obligated to redeem her. The basis of Rav's opinion is, as long as you can't bring her home to you as a wife, not because of the captivity, <coughs> but because of an external circumstance. So even by an Alman and Gadol, what's written into the Ksuba? Not that I'm going to bring you back home, but I'm going to deliver you back, uh, to me, that is, to the husband. But I'm going to deliver you back home to your, to your city. But nevertheless, it's not the captivity that's causing this. It's originally from when they're married. He's never allowed to be married to her. So therefore, according to Rav, if there's a Dova Ach Gairim, he's not obligated to redeemers. Nobody will argue about that. Kipligi, where's the argument over here between Rabbi Yez and Rabbi Yeshua? When a person makes a nether, whether it's a wife of a Kayin, whether it's the wife of a Yisrael, and again, the Machlaikis over here is the same Machlaikis, the same concept, like we said before, according to Abayah. Rabbi Yezah says, you go according to the original status. When he married, this Kayin married his wife, when this Yisrael married his wife, so it was a regular marriage. And therefore, what he wrote in the Ksub at that time was, was good, was where he was able to be applied. So therefore, he takes that obligation upon himself then, and it does not change if there's another made later. Rabbi Yeshua, Yeshua says, you have to look at the present. Right now, there's a nether, and therefore, things change. Now, there's a davach. There's something else that's being guided that I can't bring her home to me. So you, therefore, even by a client, True, it says in the language of the Ksuba that he's bringing her back home to her house, but there's a Dovah Gaidim at this point, not the, shvuy, not, not the captivity itself. So therefore, the Tanai of the Ksuba does not take effect anymore. Okay, that's this Sugi over here, Benigay, too, the obligation to redeem his wife. Gemara doesn't say. Allah always between Abai and Rav is, we always pass him like Rav, besides six cases. So we pass him like Rav here. Okay, Nishbiz Chayav Lufdaisa Vachulu. Said in the Mishnah that a person is obligated to redeem his wife. So now the Gemara will focus on another aspect of this basic obligation that a husband has to redeem his wife. If she was captured in the time when the husband is alive, now the husband passed away. So if if the husband was aware of this circumstance and he knew that this is his obligation, so now, again, the husband is aware of this, Yershin Chayovin Levdaisa. So the children will have to, they have the obligation to go and redeem her. If the husband was not aware of this yet in his lifetime, then the children do not have to go and redeem this, uh, his wife, whether it's the mother, whether it's not. Well, I don't know, if, if, if the husband knew about this, they're obligated, if not, not. Sigmara says, Levi was going to pass him according to what we just learned in this Braise. That it'll depend if the father knew about it or not, or if the husband knew about it or not. So Rav said, Chavivi said to me, This is Rav which is his uncle. We do not pass him like this Braise that was just quoted. Rather, we pass him like this Braise here. And the Braise here does not make a distinction. Whether the father knew about it or did not know about it, it doesn't make that distinction. The Bible says as follows: A wife was captured after the husband passed away. The children, the Yisaimim, they do not have an obligation to redeem his wife. 
if it might be their mother, might not be their mother, they don't have an obligation to redeem her. And not only this, if she was already redeemed in the time when the husband was still alive, and then he passed away, the husband passed away, the children will not have to redeem her, and this Braisa makes no distinction whether the husband knew about it, he was aware, unaware, it makes no difference. And the reason is, because I cannot apply here what it says in the Ksubeh, that I'm going to redeem you and bring you back to be my wife. He passed away already. So therefore, after he passes away, this obligation does not continue. And Abraisa, we learned as follows. How far does this obligation go to redeem one's wife? It could be a lot of money. So Nishbis, if she was captured, and the people that captured her are requesting to redeem her 10 times her value. So Pam the first time this happens, Paida. He's obligated to redeem her. Mikan but if this happens again, so If he wants, he can redeem her, and if he wants, he does not redeem her. From the language of Rashi, it seems that that means uh, the second time he's not even obligated to redeem her even for her value. says, We never redeem someone that's captured more than the value of what they are. Because this is the Cham instituted this in order not, that, that they should not take advantage of this. If you're going to make him pay more than what the value is the first time, so then they're going to do it again and again. Did I have a quote of this Gemara? I mean, this will be passing like Rabshim Gamliel. Did I have a quote of this in Eretz when it comes to redeeming people that are unfortunately captured in, in such situations? You can't, even though it's a, it's like a terrible circumstance, but Tikkun Oilam. The, the Pikuach Nefesh of the Tikkun Oilam for what could happen in the future. Saying over here, it's not necessarily a case of pikuach nefesh. Over here, it's just redeeming his wife in a case where it's lavda. It if it's mamish pikuach nefesh, yeah, okay, it's a good really question. Good. I don't really want to say, <laughs> but it's uh, <laughs> but right over here, this is a very tikkun uh, oilam. So he says you never redeem more than the value. Okay, but now the Gemara says, what do we understand from Rabshim Gamliel's opinion? but. If it is the value of what his wife is, so then you do have to redeem her. Now the Chiddush is, Afal Gav, and that is even in a case, the Perkaina Yaisal Ksubasa. Even if the value that he has to pay for redeeming her will be more than the Ksuba money that he would have to pay her. That's what it will come out from it says in this, what it says in this Braisa. But now the Gemara will bring in another Braisa that Shem Gamliel will say that the money you have to pay to redeem your wife is not, cannot go exceed the amount of the Ksuba. But Amini, I'll ask you a contradiction. Nishbis, if the wife was captured, and they were, they were asking for her redemption, up to 10 times the amount of what the payment of the Ksuba is. So, the first time, he redeems her. But then, after the first time, if he wishes, he redeems her. If not, he doesn't have to redeem her, even for her value. But Rav Shemuel Gamliel says, Whenever the, the money to redeemer is up to the amount of what the ksube is, then he has to redeemer. But in love, if not, if it exceeds the amount of the ksube, then he does not redeem it. Okay, so Rav Shemuel Gamliel's opinion is that the whole t'nai of the ksube, that he has to redeemer, cannot be more than the actual payment of the ksube itself. So, but before it's from the previous price, it seemed like as long as it's her value, he does have to redeem her, even if it exceeds the amount of the ksuba. So the Gemara answer is Rabshim and Gamliel trey kuliyesle. It's not a contradiction. Rabshim and Gamliel actually has two leniencies in this obligation of a husband to redeem his wife. Number one, not more than her value. 
And number two, not more than the value of the ksuba. If it's going to be more than either one of them, more than her value, or more than the value of the ksuba, he's not going to be obligated to redeem her. Well, the next the thing it says in the Mishnah, the either one, both of these leniencies, not more than her value, and not more than the value of the ksuba. If it'll be more than either one of them, he won't be obligated to redeem her. Laksa chayev l'rapaisa. Mishnah said that if she's not well, the husband is obligated to heal her. So the Almana gets fed from the money of the assignment. That's one of the conditions of Iksuba, that the, the Almana gets fed. And also, if she's not well and she needs the, to pay the medical bills, that's the same like the food that she's fed. Just like food is for her to live, so too the medical bills is also equivalent to Mizainis, to live. Rabshim Megamliel says there's a distinction here. If there's medical bills, there's a certain thing that there's a certain illness or whatever it is that she has, and it's a kitzvah, it's a particular amount that you have to pay for this, and that's it. So then, that's something that they don't have to pay separately for this, like Mzainis, but it comes from the ksuba money. She gets her ksuba, and then that's what she uses to heal herself. If this is an ongoing thing that it's, you don't know what the amount of the medical expenses will be, so then that's actually similar to Mazinus, just like when it comes to feeding somebody. It's not something that you could put a cap in it and say, okay, this is, this is what it is. Every day, every day again, every day again, he has to feed her. So too, when it comes to this situation of Rufua, where it's every day again, and it keeps on going on, and there's no particular kitzvah, so that falls into the same category as Mazinus, and it's not something that she can take from Riksuba. So that they will obligate it to, to give her like the food they have to give her. Amir said, They considered letting blood in Eretz Yisrael, like a, a kind of a healing that's something that never has a limit. Because in Eretz Yisrael, because of the climate there, whatever it was, the custom was that they would constantly do causes down, they would constantly let blood for healing purposes. And therefore, this is something which is similar to food, which is an ongoing thing. So it falls into the same category. The Gemara brings an incident that happened. Relatives of Rabbi Yechenen, so their father passed away, and they had their father's wife. It wasn't their mother, but it was their father's wife. That she needed also paying her medical expenses every single day, just like the food she needed. She also needed medical expenses paid every single day. So, so the question is, they, they they felt like this is too much of a of a of a pressure for them to pay not only for her food but also her daily medical expenses it's, and it's it's never ending. Mm-hmm. So they came to Rabbi Yechenen, which was a relative of theirs, and they discussed this with him. Amaluhu, so he says to, to them, Izilu, go and kutsila Go speak to the doctor that's taking care of her medical condition and tell the doctor, listen, you're gonna take care of this of this woman for, for the rest of her life. Give us a set amount of money you want, $10,000, whatever it is, and just take care of her for the rest of her life. And what happens then? Now that the doctor sets a set amount of what they're paying him, so now this does not anymore fall into the category of Mizainis. Now they can turn to her and say, look, this is a set amount of money. Once it's a set amount of money, it will come out of your ksobe. So now we don't have to pay it anymore. So this is the advice Rabbi Yechenen gave them too, that they should be absolved of paying this. When I, I gave this advice to my relatives, 
I'm, I'm like coming uh, like, like a dion that's taking sides over here. When you have people, litigants that are in front of a judge, the dion is not allowed to speak to one party and uh-huh. give advice of, uh-huh. of, how, of how, how to win the court case. So over here, Rabbi Yechelen says, I, I gave my relatives advice of how to, how to get themselves out of this obligation to, for, for, the, for their uh, father's uh, wife. So Igmar explains, In the beginning, when he gave this advice, what was he thinking that it was allowed for him to give this advice? And in the end, when he regretted giving this advice, what was he thinking? He says, In the beginning, he was thinking, I'm not just a judge. I'm actually part of this party that is paying over here for her. Because if I'm a relative, so this is my family, so I am part of this party that is trying to figure out that this is too much expenses to pay for every single day. So it's, it's my flesh, it's my relative, so therefore I'm not giving advice to a litigant in a dintaita. So therefore I'm allowed to give this advice. But in the end, he was thinking to himself, Adam in a case where a prominent individual like this, like Rabbi Yechinen, and people may think that it looks like I'm giving advice to, to one party over the other, I shouldn't do this, so people shouldn't make the mistake that a dying is allowed to go give advice to one party. Continuing on the conditions that there are in the he did not write into the Ksuba the condition that there is, and we had this mentioned before, Benin Bichren. The, the sons, the male sons, the which you will have from me, they will yarshen the money of the ksubah, more than all the other inheritance that they get together with the rest of the brothers. So let me just define very clearly what this condition of the ksubah is. A person is married, and let's say he has two different wives, and one wife has her sons, and the other wife has her sons, so now, you have in the Ksuba two different parts of the Ksuba. Number one, every wife brought into the marriage certain properties and possessions that are written into the Ksuba. That what happens in the life of the, of, of, of the wife and the husband, it, she's, it's hers, but the husband has a novit, he can eat the paytas. When she passes away, what happens? Who gets all these properties? The husband is the one that inherits it from her. Right? And that's one aspect of the Ksuba. The other aspect of the Ksuba is, of course, the, the basic suba, the fact that a husband is obligated to give his wife, whether a mana or masayim, if she passes away, or if he passes away, that is, or he divorces her. So the concept of, of ksuba's benin dichrin is these two aspects of the ksuba. The aspect of the ksuba that the, that the wife brought from what she got a dowry from her father, and she brought into the marriage. And also the aspect of the ksuba which the husband obliges himself to give his wife. Those two parts of the ksuba, if she passes away, and then afterwards, the husband passes away, so usually there's a Yerusha that's distributed by everybody equally. But over here, these two parts of the Ksuba are going to be given to her children. And if there's another wife, the Ksuba that was promised to, to that wife, or the, the, part, the Ksuba that there is to that wife, both, again, both the Ksuba that the husband is obligated to give, and also what that wife brought from her father's house into the marriage, and the husband inherited after she passed away. So now, when the husband dies, the children of that wife will get that part of the ksuba. So that's the idea of ksuba's benin dichren. That you, again, usually you would just divide the inheritance equally between everybody. But over here, these two parts of the ksuba, what, the, what she brought from her father's house, and what the husband has to give, will go to her children. And even if it wasn't written in the ksuba, you're still obligated. Why? Shuhu t'nai bezdin. It's still chayiv because this is an obligation, this is a condition from the bezdin. Bna nukfin. Now another 
condition that's in a ksube, even if you didn't write it, you'll be obligated. The daughters that you will have with me, you have in Yosfim Bevesi, they can sit in my home even after I pass away, and they will be fed from my properties until they get married. This is what we've been learning before many times, about the obligation to give Mizainis to the daughters. Chayiv, so even if it's not written, it'll be Chayiv, Shutnai Bezn. This is an obligation of the Bezn. A third condition of the Ksuba. Ate Yasvabesi, you, the wife herself, you'll be living in my home, Umizana Minichasi, and you get fed from my properties. Call you may Megar al Manusech, as long as you're living here as an Almana, Bebesi in my home. In other words, if she gets remarried, then so then it doesn't apply. Chayiv, so then he'll be so even without writing it into the Ksuba, it's just, you're obligated to give this, shoot nine bezin. This is this is a condition from the Bezin. The people in Yerushalayim would write all this into the Ksubah. The people of Gaul would write just like the people of Yerushalayim. The people of Yehuda, regarding this detail over here, about the Almana being fed, they would write a bit differently. They would write, You'll be fed from me until the Yerushin, the children, are going to pay you the Ksubah. So lefichach, therefore, if they're Yerushin want and they don't want to continuously support her, so what do they do? Nice and subasa, they give her her money over ksuba, and then they send her off and they say, listen, now you have your money of ksuba, take care of yourself. So the Gemara here will focus on the first condition, which is the called ksubas benin dichren, the fact that the sons of one wife will inherit her ksuba after the husband passes away. So Rabbi Yechon has said in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Yechoi, Mipnei mask in Aksubas b'nei Dechrin. What is the reason Chachamim instituted this concept that the sons of the wife will get the Ksuba of, of their mother? The reason is, K'day she'yikpoitz adam v'yichtoiv levitoi kibnoi. So that the father should want to jump and be excited about giving a lot of money to his daughter when he marries her off to someone. What's a person going to think to himself? I'm going to give my daughter all money and property, or again, a dowry that she's bringing into the marriage. And what happens afterwards? What, what could happen? The wife will die. And then who's going to inherit everything? Her husband. And then after the husband dies, who's going to inherit everything? The husband's children, which is not necessarily my grandchildren. The husband could be married to a second wife, to a third wife, and other. So then all the money that I'm giving for my daughter is going to, is going to be taken away from my grandchildren. It's going to go to his children. So therefore, Chachamim instituted that the benin dichren, that this ksuba, this nadin money, this dowry that she brought into the marriage, her children are going to inherit it. So they're just like a son inherits. So over here, the daughter and her children, the children of the daughter, the grandchildren will inherit this. So therefore, will be excited to give a lot of dowry. But how did Chachamim institute this? Is there something that Rahman Omar, that the Torah says, that it's the son that should inherit, and and the daughter does not inherit, right? Regular Yerusha is that all the sons are the ones that get the Yerusha. And then the daughter is not involved in Yerusha. And the Rabbanon come along in the Sakni, and they institute the Torah's Brata, that the daughter is the one that inherits. The Gemara doesn't literally mean that the daughter inherits. I mean, the case over here is that she already passed away, but it's her children that are inheriting over here. So it's an interesting question because the Chachamim are not really directly uprooting the Yerushim and Atayre. What's happening over here is that they make this condition originally that the husband is obligating himself that this part of the Ksuba will go to her daughters. But indirectly it comes out that now the Yerusha, after he passes away, will not be distributed equally amongst his children.
the Benin Dichrin, her the sons, will get their Ksubah separate from the Yerusha. So indirectly, it's uprooting this, the, the, the regular Yerusha Menatayra. Yeah, Correct. Yeah, but after she passes away, after she passes away, it, 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 it does become 100% his. So now Menatayra, once he dies, all the children should yash this equally. And, but, but he already made this condition from before. So it's not really uprooting it Menatayra. Okay, but nevertheless, the Gemara is asking that it's it's now it's altering the way the Yerusha would be minatayre. But it says on so We have a source from this in a pasuk as well. It's not mamish minatayre. This is a pasuk in Novi in Yirmiya. The pasuk says the chesiv chunashim veilidu banim bubanais that you should um, take wives for your children and they'll give birth to children. Chub levneichem nashim vezbneisechem pnula nashim. And also for your children, you should have you should marry them off to wives, and for your daughters, you should marry them off to men. That's what the pasuk here says. This is the obligation of a father to marry off his children. So, but the question is, when it says over here that for his sons that they should go and marry wives, so he should take for them wives. So this is something that's in his hands. Why? So as Rashi brings over, the reason is because it says in the Gemara and Kedushin, that it's the it's customary for the man that, that looks for a wife and he's the one that can find a wife. Mm-hmm. So therefore it's the man that can go and find a wife. So therefore it's in his hands. Ella Benose, but when it comes to his daughters, me Is that in his hands? The girls they have to wait for the husbands to go and find her. So what does it mean when it says over here that his daughters that he should go, that they're gonna go and take a husband? So rather what does it mean? Oh Kamash Malone, what it means is as follows. Take care of your daughter. You make her attractive. The nilbashah, the nichsa, dress her, cover the nais of lamidi, and give her something. Give her money. You know, make sure that people will understand. So the, the, the men should come and jump. They should want to get married to her. They'll want to come and get married to her. So we see over here this concept already in a Pasik that it's important for a father to take care of his daughter and to, to promise a good dowry so the men should want to marry her. So therefore, Chachamim wanted that a father should understand that, that whatever money he's giving to his daughter are going to end up by his grandchildren. If his wife, if, if she passes away and then the husband will yashin it, it will still go to his grandchildren. So he'll want to give this. Says the Gemara Vat Kama. How much does the what? But by, by, by the son, you don't have to be worried. He's going to find a wife that, that he'll go out. And then, by, by a daughter, though, it's, it's not exactly the same. Okay. So the Gemara says, and, and how much does a person give for his daughter? both said, a tenth of all of his. Properties, all of whatever he owns, he should be giving a tenth for a dowry for his daughter. Okay, now but now the Gemara goes back to this whole concept of ksubas bin indichrin. So the shall we? We shall say as follows: If the whole reason for this takana is all because we want to excite the father to give money for his daughter, so if so, the av lirus that part of the ksuba which is what the father gave his daughter and she brought into the marriage. That's what her children should yarshan after the husband passes away. But the Baal lay latest, the other part of the Ksubah, which is what the husband promises his wife, the obligation he has to give a manna or masayim, that part of the, that the husband is, is giving his wife, why should the, her children yarshan that? There's no, re, there's no reason for this. Says the Gemara, there is a reason, because Im Cain, if you're going to say that that part of the husband par- promises to give his wife for the Ksubah, that her children do not get the husband's part, so So the father is going to turn around and say, I'm also not giving my part as well. If I see that the husband is selfish, and he says that my part that I want to give my wife, I'm not going to give to her sons when, 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 if, when I pass away. 
So the father's going to say, I'm not going to give my part either. If the whole point over here is that the, that the father should want to give, so the cause of av baal. If it's a case that the father actually gave a dowry, so then we're concerned about his part that he should want to give, and he's giving his part. So then lichtoiv baal. So then the husband should write this also as a condition in the ksuba that it's all going to her sons. What's if the father didn't give anything? So the, the, the part of the ksuba of the father is not, is not here at all. So, so then the husband should not at all be writing that his part of the ksuba should go to her, to her sons. Because the, again, the original whole point is to all get the father excited about the, the father should be motivated to want to give his part, but if the father is not giving anything anyways, so then there should be no reason to, to, to institute ksubas benindichin in such a case. Says the Gemara, Loi plug Rabbana. Chachamim did not want to make any distinction. They allowed, they, they left this takana in place in every situation. Frak the Gemara, Bas, Ben Abonim, Nami, Tiris. If so, why is, this, why is this whole takana only for Benin Dichrin, the sons, the males? The, only the sons of this wife get the, uh, the whole ksuba that come, came from her father, the, the dowry, and from her husband that he obligated to her. It should be even for a daughter. Why, why, why should there even be a difference between a son or a daughter? Answers the Gemara, Kenachla instituted this. They made it the same like it is with the Allah of Yerusha in general, which is only for sons. Sons Yarshin, not daughters. Over here as well, Chachamim compared it to a regular Yerusha that only the sons get. But if so, Bas ben Abonais Tiris. So if so, if it's a daughter of this wife, amongst other daughters of maybe other wives, so then this daughter should inherit. Because in such a case, the Yerusha does go to daughters. If they're making it like a Yerusha, but over here, who's the ones that are Yarshining? The daughters. They didn't make a distinction since usually there are sons and the sons Yarshin. So this Ksubis Benin Dichun as well is only four sons. You should also be allowed to collect even from Metalkin, from movable items for this Ksubas Benin Dichin, for this unique Ksuba, for this unique Yerusha here that's in the Ksubas Benin Dichin. So the Gemara says again, They considered this obligation of Ksubas Benin Dichin to be just like the rest of the Ksuba. The rest of the Ksuba you could only take from Karka, not from Metalkin, at least in the times of the Gemara. Later the Ga'inim did institute that you can take ksuba even from a talkland, as Taisa here brings. But in the time of the Gemara, ksuba could only be collected from karka. So too, the ksuba's benindichrin could only be collected from karka. You should be allowed to collect for the ksuba's benindichrin even from the properties that are not even here anymore, but they were sold off to somebody else. So they should be able to go to the buyer and take away those properties because of this obligation that's already written before into the ksuba. Says the Gemara, Yarsun Tanan. But the expression that it says in the Mishnah is the term Yarsun, which is they, they inherit this. Ah. Inherit is only if it's currently in the possession of the father that passed away, and not if it was already sold off. One more point the Gemara asks on this. We should say that this halacha of Ksubas Berindichlin should apply even in a case where there's no extra dinner. What this means is, this is a Mishnah later in the Masechta that will explain that we only apply this unique Yerusha of Ksubas Berindichlin in a case where there, there has to be at least one dinner that could be distributed amongst the Yarshim equally, which is the Yerushim and Atayra. Chachamim will not place their institution of Ksubas Berindichlin in such a situation where it completely uproots the, the Yerushim and Atayra. So the question is, 
But we should apply, the Gemara is asking, we should apply this even in a case where there is no extra dinner to distribute the Yerusha for everybody equally. Says the Gemara, but Makim the Kamek and Nachla Dayerai so like the Kinner Rabbanan. If it uproots the Ksubim and Atayre, so then they did not make this uh, institution for Ksubis Ben Dechrin.